Hi, Rav Judy here, offering an introduction to Masechet Avodah Zarah, dedicated to the Yishut of Rav Shlema for Tova Miriam Bat Devorah Mindel. Avodah Zarah, idolatry, is a it's a major prohibition concept that finds its way into many different psukim, many different topics in the Torah. It's one of those foundational mitzvot, the same way that as Jews we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elkein, Hashem Achad, Hashem is one. So that is our positive affirmation of Hashem's oneness and ultimate oneness and ultimate uh, creation, control, guidance of the entire universe and all that's in it. On the flip side, we have Vodazara, which is false worship, and it's completely prohibited. We, uh, those of who have learned Masechet Sanhedrin know there are a number of Mishnah out there about what exactly would constitute a Jew's practice of Vodazara in terms of the court. That's why it appears in Sanhedrin in terms of who gets put to death and what exactly is a death penalty-worthy um, transgression here. Um, but it's a very serious transgression. Um, Avodah Zarah itself, the, the whole concept, even for someone who takes a step that is not exactly subject to the death penalty, as mentioned in Tractate Sanhedrin, seems a very, very serious topic. Um, is it is that because, on the one side, it is completely antithetical to our beliefs about God, and so it is uh, destructive to the religious fabric of our community and of the world? Is it because there's something in Avodah Zarah that is ultimately, and one could make a good case for this in a longer discussion, that Avodah Zarah is ultimately the worship of human beings? In other words, that we, we have all these fictional gods and mythical characters that ultimately are limited. And in doing so, we place ourselves in the driver's seat to be able to manipulate them, to offer this sacrifice to Zeus and this one to Poseidon or whatever it might be. And that over time, effectively, it puts us in the driver's seat because human beings want to believe that we run the world. And so is the transgression of Odazara ultimately the worship of the self or the placement of the self or some other uh, power that could be within our control at the center of the world? Is it, you know, is it because we're replacing Hashem? Is it because what we are trying to make of ourselves? Something along those lines. There's another approach that suggests that pretty much all of Odazara, all paganism, is ultimately the worship of nature. And nature is survival of the fittest. And notice the, the lion doesn't ask the zebra if it uh, is having a bad day before it chases it and lets it get a five-second head start. It doesn't sneak up upon the giraffe and then say, oh, I'm sorry, you're a little bit older, or you just gave birth, I'll let you be. Nature is survival of the fittest, and that societies built on nature and the worship of nature are, are survival of the fittest societies. Such societies are all about power, and that the elderly, the infirm, those who can't protect themselves, the vulnerable, are subject to being taken advantage of and being hurt or killed. And that Judaism came along and said, here we have a people who are emerging from Egypt. And Hashem says, I am the transcendent God who is powerful over all, and yet I take time and effort. Uh, not that Hashem really has any effort, doesn't, doesn't require any effort, Hashem, but that Hashem you know, takes the time and, and puts the focus to help out those who are in need to rescue slave people and commands us over and over again, be kind to the widow, to the orphan, to anyone in need, to the stranger, because you were once slaves, because you know what it is to be subject to others and to be vulnerable. And Hashem asks us not to do survival of the fittest, but rather to reach out and to care. And so that's the sort of society that we build. And rather than have a an idolatrous society of survival of the fittest that is cruel and uncaring because 
nature doesn't care. Nature does its thing. Nature is survival of the fittest. Instead, we turn around and say, no, we, we care for others and we reject that concept out of hand. Uh, we, we refuse to have that be the guiding principle of our faith and of our behavior towards others. In any event, whatever one offers, there are other explanations available. But whatever one offers is the reasoning behind the very strict prohibition of Abu Dazarah, of idolatry and idol worship. As I mentioned, we said in, we saw in Sanhedrin what actually qualifies as worthy to the death penalty, subject to the death penalty. In this tractate, there are five chapters, five prakim, and the prakim deal with more specifics. So what are the limits? Because since Avodah Zarah is so serious, there are rabbinic limits put on uh, our behavior so that we shouldn't be particularly interacting with Gentiles, idolaters, in a way that will cause them to worship their idols. We don't want to aid and abet that. We don't have any part in it. We don't want to support it. We don't want to give them things that they might need for it. So about doing business with them, about eating with them, what foods are we allowed to eat? What are we not allowed to eat? What are we allowed to eat from them? When do we share with them? Because we're keeping a bit of, of distance as well as concern about getting in any way involved in their practices. What exactly is an Avodah What exactly is a house of Avodah That has implications as well. When is an Avodah no longer an Avodah What about wine? Wine is a religious ritual food. When is Gentile wine, you know, has, has one handle that? Um, not just in terms of kashrut, but in terms of the fact that it's often used for worship. What do we do with that? And so the, the Masechta moves through in these five prakim, uh, all these different topics and prohibitions, rabbinic prohibitions, to protect us from getting at all close to or involved in or supporting any of this idolatry that we consider to be so serious. I note that there is uh, quite a question out there about what exactly is Avodah in our days. In other words, paganism, it's pretty clear. You have an idol, you have a statue, you're worshiping various forces of nature, it's polytheism, very clear. There's questions that arose over time as to, for example, the status of Christianity. Classic debate, classic makloka between the Rambam and the Ramban as to whether Christianity is necessarily idolatrous or not. Um, does one view the Trinity? It's it's three, so that sounds multiple. Are the three really seen as one? And it's it's not exactly full-out idolatry. It's certainly forbidden for a Jew. It's not exactly idolatry. It's some sort of a, they're trying to join them together. They're trying to see them as one. Different denominations of Christianity that may not be oriented towards the Trinity. Is that perhaps not idolatry? And famously, the Me'iri, who notes that all these rules that we have about not interacting with idolaters and this and that, that uh, they are particularly focused towards people who really worship idols, and that that is the the center of their religious lives and their moral system, but that not every Gentile, that these rules don't necessarily exactly apply to every Gentile, um, depends on their religious practice and also depends on the rule.